All right. Welcome to Mohadon Ivri uh, Club Hebrew. Um, we are finishing up this week on the penitential psalms. So today we're going to uh, spend time, the rest of our time together on Psalm 143. And uh, then I thought we would take up one of the minor prophets. And I think I'm going to start with the book of Habakkuk. Um, it's, a, it's a short, relatively short book, three chapters, so you guys will get the satisfaction of being able to finish an entire book. Um, hopefully, you know, the rest of this quarter and probably some into spring quarter as well, depending on how far we get. And Habakkuk is also an uh, interesting book. It has a number of uh, different types or, uh, let's say, I don't want to say genres, but different ways of speaking. So, you know, chapter 3 is this rather famous psalm type. And then you have uh, some, uh, you know, oracles of condemnation there. And then you have, um, in the first part of the book, Habakkuk speaking in what Jerome called the closest thing he could get to blasphemy. So, So some of the early church fathers saw him as speaking more boldly than any other prophet. So we'll take a look at Habakkuk after we're done with the penitential psalms, and then um, see where we want to go from there. Um, We were about ready to start uh, verse 9, but I want to back up a little just to show you some things about uh, the psalm. I'm going to actually back up to verse 4 and just kind of summarize the first three verses. and I want to show you, just uh, spend the time, since we have a rather short section here, to talk a little bit more about the verb patterns we see here and the verb patterns that seem to be very common. I mean, one of the things that you guys know, if you have any acquaintance with the Psalms at all, is that there's these sometimes a switch from form to form within a single verse, right? And um, there's a lot of opinions about why that happens and what it means, and it's a very highly debated topic and people aren't quite sure then as to in any particular case how to translate Uh, because I don't think it's right to suggest that there's just these default meanings for the verb forms that as soon as you come to it you can just default put that meaning in so I think that you actually have to interpret in every single case and uh, you'll then come down on various translations depending on a number of factors. Um, So notice in the first three verses, um, he starts out with this plea, this request with imperatives. You see that in verse 1 with Shema and Ha'azina. Notice those, hear my prayer, give ear to my pleas for help. Uh, Aneni, notice three imperatives in that verse 1. Then he switches, of course, to the negatives in verse 2. Do not Bring into judgment your servant. Uh, keep your eye on that word in verse 2 because it will come out against Evan. Okay, so do not bring into judgment your servant. Um, for uh, no life is Yitzchak. Okay, no life is right or righteous Lefaneka before you. All right. Notice that that's kind of a, a, an imperfect form. And right away... Um, you know, you could, there's other translations, probably. You could translate it more as, for no life will be righteous before you or can be righteous before you. See, so notice there are these nuances that English has um, that you're trying to figure out whether that's the intent of the author or not. All right, now notice in verse 3, 
there's this switch to perfect forms, all right? And very often I think, <clears throat> now I got this after reading what uh, one scholar has done with uh, Ugaritic texts in which there's this a lot, they see this switching pattern in Ugaritic texts a lot as well and suggest that early Hebrew poetry does the same kind of thing, not because of a particular nuance that they want for the verb itself, but for other reasons, like rhetorical reasons, patterning reasons, coherent reasons, uh, coherence reasons, like, for example, to um, summarize a thought, to suggest that you're switching scenes or switching thoughts. All those kinds of things are, are possible. All right, so notice here, since the psalmist seems to be expressing distress that he's under at the present time, and notice at the end, he actually asks Yahweh to save him. Notice you have perfect forms here. Some translations will actually translate it as either a simple past or maybe a, a, a perfect tense. See, for uh, the enemy has pursued my soul. Right. Um, he has crushed to the ground my life. He has set me uh, in Machashekim, in dark places, like the dead for a long time, like the long time dead. All right? um, but you could also translate more in present tense, see, um, as this action that's, that's going on, see. Um, the enemy pursues my soul. You know, it makes it a little more dramatic and um, more dramatic, more colorful. You know, he's describing what he's undergoing right now. See, the enemy pursues my soul, kind of this, and notice the implication would be this kind of relentless pursuit, all right? Um, and now, he crushes my life to the ground, or he has crushed again. Um, he has set me, or he sets me in the dark places like one long dead. Now notice he continues with the Vav consecutive, and notice that you could logically connect four to three as a result, and as a result, my Ruach is ataft. Uh, on me is faint. See? So here you have a Vav consecutive that if, if he's undergoing this distress now, this is his present state. Alright? In my midst, now notice he switches to an imperfect tense. In my midst, um, my heart, Yishtome, um, my heart is shamam, my heart is appalled, and my heart is desolate. See? But notice now that he's kind of switching thoughts a little. So perhaps he's using the yishtomeim. So he switches in verse 4. I just want you to see this from a vav consecutive to an imperfect. And most translations see, you're not going to you're going to translate them both probably with present tense because that's what he's describing. See? Does everybody see that? These, this is two different states. And so when you're um, in kind of talking about a, a stative condition. Um, you see this kind of switch between perfects and imperfects a lot. And so the imperfect there um, uh, may be used to um, signal that you're coming to the end of a, of a thought here, or it may be used because uh, it maybe in some sense intensifies the idea, see, as he goes from my heart or my uh, ruach is faint to, in my midst, my heart or my mind is appalled or is desolate. Again, it's hard to know what the difference in nuance is and how you should translate it in English, see. So then he goes 
back to perfect. So I remember days of old. See, I meditate on all your work. All right. On the works of your hands. I met. There you have a switch to the imperfect again. All right. But notice then he switches back to imperatives in verse 7. So again, does this indicate kind of the end of a unit of thought? That's what some have suggested the switch is for. But I'm not going <coughs> to fall my sword over that. I just want to show you what's happening. All right? So he goes back to imperatives. Hasten, answer me, O Lord. My ruach kalta has come to an end. See? Okay, now he, again he has the negative. So notice the pattern is the same as we saw in the first three verses. Do not hide your face from me, and I will be compared with those who go down to the pit. See? And so the vav here you would in English translate as or. See? So do not hide your face from me, or I will be like your day bore, the goers down to the pits, those who go down to the pit. Alright. Again imperative in verse eight, where we finished off. Um, cause me to hear in the morning Chasdeka, your chesed, your faithfulness, your loyalty. For in you batakti I trust. Alright? Uh, perfect again. Show me or make known to me the way where I should walk. I want you to look at that zoo. Alright? You know, there's three forms of what you usually know as a demonstrative. Ze, zot, zu. Um, in more, this is a characteristic of a more archaic kind of style where zu is actually used as a relative pronoun. Everybody see it here? You see the same thing in Exodus 15 and several other places. Zu is a relative pronoun. So here you have kind of an archaic feature. Remember, in poetry in general, there's a freer use of dialectical and archaic features than you will see in standard biblical Hebrew. So, show me the way where I should go. Everybody see that? Okay. For to you, I lift up my nephesh, my life, or my soul. Okay. And that's where we uh, ended last week. Does anyone have any questions about that? So notice, you know, you're always going to have to make a decision on how to translate those verbs, and you're always going to do it on the basis of your analysis of the action, whether this is a state of action or habitual action or a dynamic action. Uh, is it in the future? Is it in the past? Is it in the present? See? Is he looking at it as a whole? Is he looking at it as... Uh, as if you're on eye level with a parade, you know, uh, action in process or action complete. All those things kind of go into um, how you're going to translate it into English. And it's not always easy to decide. All right. All right, verse 9 then. Notice he goes back to imperatives. Uh, all right, I mean, he's been through, he, this whole section is basically imperatives. After, um, you know, that other section, verses 4 through 6, notice. Or 3 through 6, actually. All right, so another imperative. Hatsileni may oivai Yahweh. Deliver me. What's the root of, of that word? Nasal. Good. Deliver me, hifil from Nasal, from oivai, my enemies, O Lord. Okay. Eleka kisiti. Anyone know the root of kisiti? 
It means to hide. This is cough, sonic, hey. This is a PL form. All right. How to translate it is rather problematic. It's a PL perfect first common singular. And notice the yud, which you expect, kisiti, is um, elided. It's not there. All right. So, deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. To you, it would be something like, um, I seek cover. All right. Um, and I say that, notice the suggestion. Let's see if it is here. Yeah, notice they have a whole bunch of suggestions. The Septuagint translates it with the root nasti, noose to flee. To you, I flee. Noose. <coughs> um, some manuscripts have chasiti from chasa to seek refuge. Jerome seems to have a uh, pu'al form. I am protected or hidden. See, so something like in you I am hidden. Or they suggest on the parallel with Genesis 20 in which you have this word kasut, which is a noun, means covering, for in you is my protection or my covering. So notice there's a number of uh, suggestions for dealing with that, that word. This word is kind of unique in its form here. Jim. Uh, I was, the, one of the answers was given to me in the text. Oh, okay. That, yeah, yeah. So it's something like, so a good translation, uh, as best we can do with this, to you I have sought for cover, I seek cover. All right. Verse 10. <coughs> Teach me, PL imperative, to do. Right. Notice how the infinitive completes the thought of the imperative. Teach me what to do. So it's an object. Teach me to do retzoneka. Teach me to do your pleasure. Ratzon. Teach me to do your pleasure. Kiata Elohai. For you are Elohai, my God. Rucha Katova, Tancheni Beres Mishor. Okay. Your spirit, now notice how Tova modifies Ruach. Your spirit, your good. Your good spirit. Now you have this word, Tancheni. Anyone see the root in it? Nope. Could, could be. It's Nacha, to lead. Right. Right. If it was Nuach, notice you'd have a Kamatz under there. Because it would be the hollow verb, Yakum. Ha-nuach. All right. So, your good spirit, lead me. And I think you could translate it either more as an imperative, um, your good spirit, lead me, or translate this as you lead me by your good spirit or with your good spirit. See, notice it's not his ruach, the spirit of wrath he wants, but it's the ruach tova, <laughs> which makes good sense, right? Um, uh, Barrett's in the land of Mishor, of levelness or uprightness. So, in a level or flat land. Good. Um, so, again, notice now he's switching from imperatives to imperfect forms with an imperative nuance. Rather interesting. And you'll see that in a few other places, too. Verse 11. Um, Lema'an. Shimka Yahweh Techayeni. Here it is again. See? On account of your name, Lema'an Shimka, O Lord, Techayeni. Piel from Chaya, to preserve alive. See? So on account of your name, O Lord, preserve me alive. Notice again, it's an imperfect form. 
Betzidkataka shall shell it. Betzidkataka. Totsi. Mitzar and Afshi. Yeah. Um, lightning bolt. By your righteousness, Totsi, bring out from Tzara, bring out from distress, Nafshi, my life or my soul. And maybe even reflexive. Bring me out from Tzara, from trouble. Again, no imperatives. Verse 12. Ubechastikatats mit oivai. And by your chesed, by your faithfulness, tatzmit oivai. If you, even if you haven't seen this word before, this root, okay, by your faithfulness or loyalty, notice the object is oivai. So what meaning might you impute to tzamat? By your righteousness, my enemy what? Yeah, something like destroy or wipe out or bring terror to. So notice it's a hifil from tzamat. And you'd be correct. That's a good English gloss. See, so by your faithfulness, wipe out my enemies. So that's an imperfect form, though. Yeah. Saying. Notice it's from Zamat, right? Hit feel imperfect. All right. Now notice how it follows up with the vav plus <laughs> vav plus perfect second masculine singular. The ha'av deta kol nafshi and. Ha'avad, see, destroy all Tzorarei from Tzorar, those who oppress, the oppressors of my life, all those who oppress my life. Okay, so by your faithfulness, wipe out my enemies and destroy all those who oppress my life. So again, it's very hard for us in English to see the difference in force between the imperatives earlier and the imperfect forms. Is this just a stylistic difference? Um, is he just moving through different units now um, uh, with kind of a different kind of thought here that seems to um, notice the, the, you could probably make a case that earlier he's asking kind of for immediate deliverance and here he's dwelling more on maybe longer lasting things. But again, maybe that's not the case at all. I just want to show you how many different verb forms are in a psalm like this. All right. Um, finally, Kiani uh, Abdeka, for I am your servant. Notice he ends with servant, kind of a nice inclusio. Um, verse 2 had the same thing. See, do not bring, remember, do not bring into judgment your servant, Abdeka, for I am Abdeka, your servant. So he kind of begins and ends and leaves God with that thought. <laughs> See, as he's trying to persuade him to act on his behalf, just remember, Abdeka, I am your servant. Uh, would you say that that's the case also with the uh, tzedekah? We had it in verse 1. Yeah, notice. And, and that was kind of a, is that right? It was just kind of a different use of, in this song that we had of, of that? Well, yeah, what I was pointing out there was how, just notice the syntax where it's used. Be'emunateka aneni betzidkateka. So you have, in your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. So, Notice while those words, emunah and zedekah, we normally keep distinct in our mind semantically. They're synonyms. But notice that the syntax brings them together. So you see faithfulness and righteousness together. And, and so you have this semantic separation at the same time that that's undercut by the syntactical bringing together, which interests me. So it creates in our minds a relationship that would normally be there between those two words. Um, and so... 
notice that that's kind of an underlying theme, especially in this last part of the psalm, with the word chesed as well. By your chesed, um, do this. Because uh, he mentions that, that a couple times within this section. And uh, again, he brings up these big words towards the end, and that's a lot of, you know, you can, so it's almost, I think, as a cue, hey, summing up the argument here, and, you know, inclusios kind of, again, help you divide the unit and, and see how thoughts are being patterned. So, yeah, I think so. Do you think in the, like, particularly at the end, let's switch to, to the imperfects more, do you think that, that this is kind of more the, uh, the the plea versus the request out of the argument, kind of like if you're, slightly manipulative of your parents and you pray out loud like surely my mother loves me yeah. enough not to make me go to church this morning or whatever <coughs> you think this is kind of the switch from the imperative to could the, be. Like, there's sort of a play like a nudge like surely God yeah. is see uh, it could be not quite not quite with that tone but more with this kind of confidence by your good spirit you will lead me into the land of the upright I mean, I think you could probably give it that nuance and make a case. On account of your name, you will preserve me alive. So, um, uh, this strong, you know, you could then make it this strong assertion of his confidence that uh, um, God's going to do what he promised. So, you could probably make a case that that's the force of those as well. Again, that, those, are, those are the interpretive decisions that, that you have to make throughout. You can't get away from it. So in other words, you can't just put a default translation for the imperfect here, see? Although it would be nice to be able to do that. <laughs> all right. Very good. Any other questions? Fascinating psalm, all right? All right, good. We will take up Habakkuk then, switch gears a little bit, and go through nice uh, prophet in three short chapters once again with a lot of different stuff in there for us. Thanks for your attention. And we'll meet one more week, one more time right before break. <laughs>